Welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I'm your host, Marissa Meyer. Thanks for joining me. One thing that is making me happy this week is I finished the second draft of Gilded. I'm so excited. Of course, hitting any milestone on any book is just like a huge relief. And it always comes with a caveat. I always have to tell people like, it's not really done. I still have a bunch of holes and things that I need to write and revise and edit and research and blah, blah, blah. It feels like things are never actually done. But nevertheless, I finished it. I got to the last chapter. I typed the words, the end. And you guys know I'm a big fan of celebrating all of those accomplishments. So I got to spend yesterday out on the porch in sunny weather for once, reading a book and having a glass of wine. And it was delightful. Uh, And now, of course, I'm back to work because the deadline is still looming. But I'm super, super happy. And of course, I am so happy to be talking to today's guest. She's the author of a whole bunch of books for readers of all ages, including the young adult series High Society, Gallagher Girls, and Embassy Row, the standalone novel If I Save You First, the middle grade novel Winterborn Home for Vengeance and Valor, and even a nonfiction writing guide for young writers, Dear Allie, How Do You Write a Book? Her newest middle grade, Winterborn Home for Mayhem and Mystery, came out earlier this month on March 2nd. Now, please welcome Allie Carter. Hi, Marissa. Hello, Allie. I am so happy to have you on the show today. I am so happy to be here. Congratulations on finishing the draft. That's very, very huge. Thank you. I know. I know. I never know how much to, like, I finished it, but not really. But it's still sort of done, but there's still work to do. And, you know, it's that weird balancing act. But It is so weird. And like all of, I think writer friends and family must be so confused by that because we'll be like, I'm finished. And then they're like, great. And I'm like, what do you get? Oh, I'm working on the book. Like, right. Just finish. <laughs> right. I still need to do the next draft and the next draft and then copy edits and then proofreading and on and on and on. It, the book is really only finished like once and even the end, not so much. I so know. It is, it is a hard part of our business. Yeah. When the editor finally rips it out of your hands and says, you're cut off, you're done. You can't make any more changes. Exactly. Uh, Well, congratulations to you on your newest book coming out. I enjoyed it so much. Oh, thank you. Why don't we start with you telling listeners about Winterborn Home for Mayhem and Mystery? Ah, so that it was, it was, it's the sequel to Winterborn Home for Vengeance and Valor. And uh, I've, you know, I've been a YA author now for um, more than a decade. My first YA book came out in 2006. And I ha- was talking with a friend about that book and basically how much the YA market has changed through the years. And he actually told me, you realize if you were su- to submit, I'd tell you I love you, but then I'd have to kill you. 
um, today, it would probably get rejected and you'd need to rewrite it as middle grade and resubmit it because the age of the YA audience has just kind of crept older and older and older and older. And so that's what got me kind of thinking about writing a middle grade. And I, you know, didn't really have any great middle grade ideas at the time, but I, I started thinking about it and thinking about, okay, I want to do another big cast. I want to do another, you know, big group of kids who live together. And I didn't, but I didn't want to do a boarding school book because I'd already done that. And I felt like whatever I did in a boarding school kind of world, I would just get 5,000 letters and say, why don't, why didn't you just write another Gallagher Girls book? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do something kind of different. And I thought, well, another place that a bunch of kids can live together is in an orphanage. But of course, I didn't want to write a regular orphanage. I wanted to write a kind of weird, interesting, you know, unique, high concept orphanage. And so um, I was actually watching Batman Begins. And there's that part where Bruce Wayne goes away for 10 years and everybody thinks he's dead. And then he comes back and he tells everybody, hey, I'm Bruce Wayne, I'm back. And then he assumes a a secret identity to fight crime. And I always thought, why did you tell everybody you're back, Bruce? You had a secret identity. Your secret identity was dead guy. Like you were set on the secret identity front. And and so I thought, okay, well, and also what happened to Wayne Manor while he was gone? Was Alfred just like, you know, rattling around in there all by himself for 10 years? And so I thought, okay, I need a really interesting location for an orphanage. What if you had a billionaire who's been missing for 10 years and while he was gone, they turned the house into an orphanage. And so when he comes back, he does not recognize the place because it's, it's not his home anymore. It's, it's these, these kids have taken over. And what if when he comes back, he doesn't tell anybody he's back. And so he's living in the basement He's sharpening his swords. He's looking for vengeance of the people who killed his family. And the only people who realize he's back are the are the pesky kids who live there. And so I, I've always really loved um, reluctant mentor is, is one of my favorite tropes. So like in, in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, my favorite relationship was the Tony Stark, Peter Parker relationship. Oh, me too. Love and it. so... So that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to do this kind of, you know, crotchety guy who just really wants to do his thing. And there are these pesky kids who worm their way into his heart. And that's how they become a family. So that that's really the setup and the the whole the whole shebang about the whole world and everything. And so um, Vengeance and Valor is book one. Mayhem and Mystery is book two. I don't know if you have the same experience, Marissa, but I always find it really hard to talk about sequels because in order to do that, I just have to spoil book one. (laughs) No, I know exactly what you mean. And we don't want to spoil anything. I actually um, thought that I was reading book one um, and didn't really, about 15 pages into Winterborn Home for Mayhem and Mystery, I was like, wait, this is clearly the second book. Um, and I, so I have read book two and I loved it, but I'm really excited to go back and read oh, book one. Well, thank you. I hadn't talked to anybody who has, who, who has read book two without the benefit of, of reading book one first. So the fact that you were able to make it all make sense and, yeah, and enjoy no, it anyway, it makes me happy. Yeah. You can figure things out. And it's, I mean, like I said, uh, 10, 15 pages in, you're like, okay, clearly I've missed something. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's obvious there's a story here. Um, and, and I really am excited to go back and see how these 
characters came together because I love Gabriel so much. And I, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to go back and read book one, but I do not feel like it distracted from how much I enjoyed book two. And I just got to say, I love how your brain works and listening to you talk about all of the little influences and inspirations that came together to create this world. I just love it. I can see the path to how this book originated and how it came to be what it is. And I think that's super fun. Oh, thank you. It's always crazy to me, like back in the day when you would have like blog reviews and stuff. And, and I, I, as a general rule, I never sought out those types of things, but every now and then one comes across your path and you read it or you see something. And it was always so funny to me when people would be like, well, clearly this was influenced by X, Y, and Z. And, and almost never were they right. You know, it was, it would always be like, well, this is, this is clearly her homage to, you know, something that I'm like, I have never heard of that before, but it is, it is, you know, what would happen if Battlestar Galactica happened in the Middle East, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, that is so true. I think a lot of my readers picked up on my influence of Sailor Moon, Um, Uh in the Lunar Chronicles, like that was pretty obvious to people who were fans of Sailor Moon. But then there were all, I I know exactly what you're talking about because there was like a K-pop band or is a K-pop band with uh, one of the singers name is Kai and people were convinced that he was the inspiration for Prince Kai. And I was like, no, but I can absolutely see where you're getting that from. (laughs) Yes. They get really hung up on on names and eye color and (laughs) stuff that I kind of don't always put a lot of thought into. And I realized in hindsight, oh, I should have thought more about that because readers are going to read so much into it. Yeah. You don't know, though. You don't know what things the readers are going to pick up on. You you truly don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I, one of the things that I love about your books is that there is, you know, in both your middle grades now um, and also in your YAs is that there is this recurring theme of like extremely intelligent young people getting themselves in over their heads constantly <laughs> and having to use all of their wits and all of their resourcefulness to figure things out and i just love it i love all of the suspense all of the obstacles your books are like candy for me you are you are oh, one of my favorite sweet. authors and i'll just put that out there so sweet. <laughs> so talk to me about your process. Your your how do you go building about building plots? How do you figure out what more can I throw into this story to keep the characters on their toes? Oh, so sometimes I start with a character and sometimes I start with a world and sometimes I start with a plot. And what I find is that obviously you can't build a whole book with just one of those things. And so pretty quickly thereafter. So, um, you know, girl who goes to a boarding school for spies, probably the spy school came first in that one. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, who's the most interesting person to put there? And why is this person our point of view character? And um, what is, you know, the worst thing that can possibly happen to her? Um, The idea for high society was girl who grew up in a family of con men and art thieves. So it actually started with I was reading a book and there was a line that said I was like a cat burglar in my own house. And I thought, oh, I'm going to write a book about a girl named Cat who's a burglar. And (laughs) 
And, and so that one started very much with character. And if you are a girl who grows up in a family of thieves, again, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? And, and, and what are the sort of the rules of your world? Um, with Winterborn, like I said, it, it really started with the idea of the house. It started with the idea of this big, creepy mansion set on the edge of the world and who, the man who owns that mansion and the kids who come in and, 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 and make it their home. And so for me, it was always about the relationship between Gabriel, who is our missing billionaire, and April, who is the main, our, our heroine, and the, a 12-year-old girl who has been in the system for 10 years and only wants to find her mother. And so for, for that situation, the plot really came from, you know, there's, there's got to be, if, you, if you've got a guy who's been on the run for 10 years, why? What what would make a billionaire walk away from his mansion, walk away from his money, walk away from fame, and just fall off the face of the earth? And so that's when you start kind of, you know, almost like an archaeological dig. You start going back farther and farther and farther with him. And then you also got April, whose mom has been missing for 10 years, and she's been in the system. And just, you know, she was left at a fire station with a note that said, this is my baby April. I'll be back for her. And so April is completely and utterly op optimistic. Yeah, she knows her. I mean, she's got a note. She's got it in writing. Her mom is coming back for her. And it doesn't matter that the mom's been gone for 10 years. And and I was talking with a, a good friend of mine, Sarah Reese Brennan, who's a brilliant author. We were actually on a writing retreat and when I started working on this. And, I, and, and it just didn't, nothing quite clicked at the beginning. And then I realized that April needed some sort of like physical MacGuffin. She needed something almost like a talisman. And that that is the thing that would sort of give her agency. Because it's one thing to have a character who is certain that her mother is coming back, but that's a passive state. That's a character who's just sitting around waiting for her mother. And so I needed April to have a reason and a way of being proactive. And so I said, okay, when her mom left her, she didn't just leave her in a note. She left her in a note and a key. And so now April's got this key and she knows that as soon as she finds what that key opens, that will be the literal key to finding her mother. Mm. So that was sort of the genesis of a lot of this. And then you, and then you dig down deeper and deeper and deeper and you start sort, sort of seeing where all of the characters on their individual journeys where all of their paths connect. And I think that that's, that's really where I think real genius lies. Not that I'm a genius by any means, but if I look at like uh, an episode of television that I love, you know, there's always like the A storyline and the B storyline, really great episodes of television. Those storylines intersect at some point in time, mm -hmm. you know, the, and, and in a way you didn't necessarily see coming and in a way that, you know, both storylines would have been fine on their own, but then there's the part where, oh, the, the loose chicken actually is the thing that messes up the wedding or whatever. <laughs> and you didn't see that coming. And so, so figuring out where these characters and their journeys intersected was really a big, big part of it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I didn't answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, I mean, it's a weird question to answer. Like, how do you come up with obstacles? How do you develop a plot? Who the heck knows? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, for me, I have so many post-it notes in my house and I have so many whiteboards and I have so many notebooks and just, I, I, I make lists. I make 
you know, all the ways in which, um, you know, this can go wrong, all the ways in which this can go right, all the reasons why this person might have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worked with on the Winterborn books with a wonderful editor named Catherine Onder. And Catherine had been actually at Disney Hyperion um, when I was doing Gallagher Girls there. So she was the editor of the last, I don't know, I think maybe the last two Gallagher Girl books and the last two heist books, maybe. I don't remember. Um, but we had worked together before. So we had a really good shorthand. And um, I, I remember going to her early on and being like, can I just like, you know, have, you know, do this with the villain or, you know, I'm really tired of having to have big plot twists. What if I wrote a book that didn't have a big plot twist? She's like, that's, that's allowed. You can do that. Like, <laughs> I was like, good luck, Allie, giving your best shot. <laughs> like, you'll let me write a book without a plot twist. She's like, give it a, give it a go. And so, so it's, it is amazing how you can, I, it's really easy for me to get so hung up on the plot types of stuff that you forget about the characters. When in truth, the great char- great plots grow out of interesting characters. And I always like to say, if you give a plot a different character, you get a different plot. Yeah. And so uh, that's why, especially with Winterborn, it, it all comes back to Gabriel and April. Mm-hmm. And what what sort of wound do they have in their past? And how are they going to help each other get what they need? Yeah. And, and then you, then you mix in the other kids and the other, the other, um, people who live at, at the orphanage and, um, that really rounds it out. So you obviously have done a ton of heists, uh, a ton of kind of big explosive action sequences. What do you do when you are riding along and you get stuck and your characters are whatever stuck in the bank vault or wherever they are and you don't know how they're going to get out of it that's when i know i did my job right um, <laughs> because i do, i don't ever want to write something that's like a heist or an action sequence or whatever where the way to get out of it is super obvious because that's that's not very good and I remember writing um, I think it was the second high society book and I'm going to spoil it here real quick because I got to the end and I was so I I was just how am I going to do this how am I going to do this how am I going to do this and I remember calling up um, Jennifer Lynn Barnes who's a good friend of mine and saying oh man I wish I could just have her switch the signs and she's like, you do realize, again, you can just do that. That's actually genius. I'm like, oh, but I need another like action sequence. She's like, no, you don't. <laughs> and so so I think that that's, that again, like with a heist, especially the the more obvious and the simpler the the solution, the better. Like I really think an, a, a heist or or a big action sequence like that is, is better when it's almost like an Audrey Hepburn little black dress. You know, not a lot of frills, not a lot of hand waving, just very, very simple that you get that, duh, I should have seen it from the beginning kind of moment. And um, and also it's those types of things. I get a lot of credit for like, oh, she's so smart. She figured that out. And I'm like, you do realize that I get to both plan the heist and design the security system. (laughs) I get to play both sides of this game. And that makes the game much, much easier to win. Oh, that's a good point. I know exactly what you're talking about with my Renegades book. I was constantly feeling like I was trapped 
in, in what I was trying to accomplish and the characters were always in big action sequences. And I was constantly feeling like I had to up the Annie and make it bigger, make it bigger. But so many times, you're right. It is the simple solution. It is the obvious thing looking you in the face that it's like, oh, of course, they can do X, Y, Z. Why didn't this occur to me sooner? Exactly. And it's easy for us from the writer side of things to think that that's what, people, what, what fans care about the most. And, and it's really not. Like, it's going to be that little moment in the car with the, with the two characters having that little five second conversation. Like that's going to be the thing that launches 500 pieces of fan fiction and a whole bunch of fan art. You know, it's, um, I like to think that plot is like a clothesline. And so it is, and then the character moments are like the clothes hanging on the line. And so plot really just stretches from the beginning to the end. And it's the stuff that you hang on it that make that, that's what, readers really actually latch onto. And so um, you want to have an interesting plot. You want things to happen. You want things to move. You want things to be at stake. You want there to be some urgency, but it can't all just be action or people mm -hmm. won't care. Yeah. And so that is, that is another hard thing um, to try to always remember. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think we've all seen an action movie and came away from the movie theater thinking, I don't care one little bit about that movie. Could you not know, care was, less. There was a yes. lot of exciting sequences, but it didn't touch my heart at all. Exactly. Yeah. I think point. that that is a very, very easy thing to, to overlook. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and at the end of the day, the ones, the, the stories that with the, with the great plots and the great plot twists, I think are the ones that, that have a lot at stake. And again, the stakes don't matter if you don't care about the character. Yeah. Like, okay. This person might live or die. Nah, I don't care. I'm good either way. Right. I'm just here for the popcorn. <laughs> Which is, you know, legitimate. Legit. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, uh, this idea that if you were writing Gallagher Girls today, you would have to write it as a middle grade. And I am fascinated by that idea. Like many of your readers, Gallagher Girls was the first series, the first books of yours that I read. Um, and I loved them because I am a huge sucker for anything spies. And I clearly remember reading the first book and having that feeling like, I wish I'd had this idea. I wish I could have written this book because it is just so fun and full of all of the things that I love in it. So with that said, I'm super curious. Do you feel like if you were writing Galaga Girls today, do you think that you would still try to write it as a YA? Do you think you would have to age it up? Do you think it would make a great middle grade? Like how, how do you feel about that? I find that really interesting. I think I probably, in hindsight, would have aged it up if I were trying to do it today. Um, you don't have a lot of spy things in in the YA genre. You have a bunch of it going on in middle grade. Um, so, it, so in that respect, it does make sense to try to put it in the middle grade space. But really, it's there's there's the romance aspect of it is is hugely important. Yeah, and I I do think that that's part of. Um, so I have this analogy that I use all the time, right? So people are no doubt very, very sick of hearing me say this, but I always like to say that nobody buys an ice cream sandwich because they're in the mood for a sandwich. Okay. So you've got, 
you've got all of these different elements that go into a movie or a book or a TV show or anything. You've got lots of different things and you've got to pick the parts of those things that are sandwich and the parts of those things that are ice cream. And so what I've learned in dealing with Gallagher is that a lot of people like, and, and specifically like from like a Hollywood film um, adaptation standpoint or whatever, when they look at something like Gallagher girls about a bunch of teen girls who are spies, who, you know, have relationships, you know, with each other and with their families and with boys and with, um, you know, trying to grow up and become spies. What they always want to do is they always want to double down on the sandwich. They always want to double down on the spy stuff. That in truth, it's it's the relationships between the girls and the relationships between you know the love, the love, um, the romance storylines. Um, that is where the ice cream lies. And so I think if I were to try to make it middle grade, we would have lost the romance. And that I think was a big part of the ice cream of that mm-hmm. series. So I probably would have had to age it up just a little bit because in in book one, she's actually 15. And we do not, as an industry right now, publish 15-year-old heroines or heroes. We just don't do it. Interesting thing. Yeah. And so like we and we don't we we publish 12-year-olds in middle grade and we publish 16 and plus in YA. So if you're 13, 14, or 15, nobody's writing a book about you and publishing it in the United States. Yeah, we don't do it. No, that's so interesting. It's actually funny because my character Prudence and in Instant Karma that just came out is 15. Um, but she's like on the verge of 16. And I, I had to like set it at the end of sophomore year because of things I have planned for future books that hopefully will get written at some point. Um, but I, I remember like going back and forth with myself. Like this is kind of that, this is that weird in-between age where... Mm-hmm. She's a little too young for YA, but I kind of need it to be here because of X, Y, Z. And yeah, no, it was a weird, a weird thing to try to convince myself that this was going to be allowed. (laughs) Did you have to try to convince an editor about it? Did did you get pushback from the publisher? And it's, I mean, I don't think it's ever actually said in the book. Ah. Like she has a friend who's 16, who's driving. And so that's how I got around like that they have transportation. Uh Um, But yeah, I don't think it's it's specified. Yeah, but it is said that she's you know that they just wrapped up uh, sophomore year. Sophomore year, yeah, yeah. And and speaking of transportation, that was one of the challenges that I had with middle grade because, like you said, my my characters are constantly getting in over their heads, and and writing middle grade versus YA, that was one of the bigger challenges. Is there's you know we can we can forgive a 16, 17 year old character for getting in way over their heads. And a 12 year old, you're like, why aren't you telling a grown up? You know, you need, <laughs> you need to go to a parent and or guardian right now, young lady, and tell her about the almost dead guy in the basement. <laughs> you need to do that. Well, I love that because there's actually one point in this book where someone like comes, has that idea. Like, should we tell an adult about this? And then they realize that, no, we can't because of reasons, but yes, but I love that. I love that that was pointed out and addressed because yeah, in middle grade, how do you get rid of the adults? How do you, that's the, you have to that's the, the challenge. Way. Yes. I mean that honestly, that is, that is the entire genesis of, of, of Mayhem a Mystery. I asked myself, the very first question I asked myself for the sequel was how can I get rid of as many grown ups as possible? Yeah. <laughs> 
And then that basically just became the plot of the book is all of the grownups are gone. Oh, that's like, so funny. We have, we have, we started out with three perfectly respectable grownups and we are down to none. And what are we going to do about that? <laughs> And and at first, because it, it starts, you know, with kind of that, like what I call the Mr. Mom sequence of, of this guy who's, you know, 30 year old guy who's, who's been living, you know, off of his wits and the land for 10 years. And all of a sudden, hey, you're a single dad to five kids. Have fun. And <laughs> Just what you always wanted. <laughs> go do some laundry, Gabriel. You've got this. Um, and so you've got that. And then like, I was like, well, that's cool. Cause Gabriel's around, but then like anything happens, why can't Gabriel just take care of it? I know I'll just get rid of Gabriel. And so that's because that's, that's the hard part is you've got to figure out a way of keeping your characters with agency and they have to be, you know, they, they have to have their hands on the wheel, which is a problem when they're 12 and they can't drive. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's why I set it on the coast so that they can take boats everywhere they need to take. So, um, it's, are 12 year olds yeah. allowed to drive boats on the coast? They, they are, they may not be allowed, but they're sure doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, people just aren't paying that much attention on the water. Yeah, exactly. They're it's, it's, you know, it's a big sea. They're probably fine. Sure, so, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I want to make sure we also have a little bit of time here to talk about your writing guide. Um, Dear Allie, how do you write a book? Uh, there are, which you very, very graciously contributed to. Which oh, I, I know. I, I don't remember so honored I that you included. I remember contributing something. I know my name's in it. I don't remember <laughs> what I said, though. <laughs> but that's, this is not about me. Um, tell people, obviously there are a ton of writing guides out in the universe. What is special about this one? This one came about because I was you know, we are lucky, you and I, to get to go around and promote books all the time, or we were in the before times. And I was at a, a festival in Houston, and it was a tween book festival. So most of the kids there were probably nine to 12. And I did three sessions in these giant gymnasiums, all of them packed full of like, let's say 11 year olds. And the very first question at every single one was, I, I'm working on my first novel, what <laughs> advice do you have? And these, you know, nine, 10, 11 year olds could not have been more earnest in that they were working on their first novel. And I realized that kids are doing that. Kids are writing like that is that is when people are getting that writing bug. And there is not a lot of advice out there that is actually tailored to kids and actually answering the questions that they have. And so I said, I would like to get on paper a resource that is specifically focused to the, the questions that real kids have. And so every single chapter or section in there is an actual question from a kid. And so I actually put it on my website and people could submit their questions. And so I think we had about over a thousand questions and we did through them. And of course, you know, they kind of come in very easily sort themselves. You know, you get 700, where do you get your ideas? And then, you know, and so I kind of, you know, grouped them together. And then I answered a lot of them, but then there are 
you know, we had, I think, 30 different co-authors or, or contributors um, like yourself who I'm like, you know what? I have never co-written anything with anybody. So I'm going to ask Holly Black and Cassie Clare, who co-wrote a series, mm-hmm. to talk about their co-writing process. Or I've never written anything in second person. So I'm going to ask this person who wrote something in second person to talk about that. And um, it, it, it was so much fun to work with. It was so much fun to work with. Um, lots of different authors on it. It was so much fun to actually read and see what kids worried about. Um, and I think the, the book was so much better for having started with those questions because there were certain things that obviously you're always going to talk about. How do you develop your characters or how do you, you know, ha- write a good plot? You know, there are some things that are pretty, in any writing book you pick up are going to talk about those things. But um, there were a lot of questions on things like, what do you do when you tell your friends that you're writing a book and they laugh at you, Mm. you know, and things that are very kids specific and those sort of worries of how do I break it to my parents? I think I might want to write books. (laughs) You know, (laughs) how do I, how do I, you know, go about this thing that, that people might laugh at me for, or Mm. that I know that most people fail at, but I want to try it anyway. And um, so it was, it was very, very fulfilling and, and a great privilege to get to do that. And I, I, I wasn't so much the author of it as I maybe was more like the, the shepherd of the process because it was, um, it was, it was really all came, came from those questions from the kids. Yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. It's a turned into a wonderful book. And I love it. I love because yes, we go and we do these school visits and, you know, Every time, every time you go and you present, you talk about books, you talk about writing. And then after the assembly, there's always that one kid or that small group of kids that come up to you and they're just shaking and they're clutching their notebook and they are writers and they are so excited to be able to talk writing with somebody. And it's so special. And I just love that your book exists to now kind of help guide them and give them this advice. I hope so. You know, I, I worried a lot when I did it, thinking, oh my gosh, who am I to tell anybody how to write a book? Like I'm just such a hot mess all the time. Um, And I'm not the most commercially successful person and I'm not the most critically acclaimed person. I am somewhere in the middle and it's, you know, who am I to do this? But nobody else was doing it. So I was happy, happy to try it. And and I'm very, very pleased with the results because it is, it's, it's very much focused at that kid level. And that's not to say that an, an adult writer couldn't benefit from it. Cause I think I, be, I genuinely believe that they could. Um, but most of all with it, I just wanted to write a book that teaches kids that they can do this too. Like yeah. you, 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 you're all worried about the fact that you can't get past your first paragraph and uh, you've never finished something before. Guess what? Every every writer in the world started out exactly there. Yeah. And so this is this is how you go to the next level. Yeah. All right. On that note, we are going to wrap this up with our happy writer bonus round. <laughs> First question: What book makes you happy? Winterborn Home for Mayhem and Mystery because it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> so happy to have it finished and out there in the world 
And I just am really, really happy about that. I know that <laughs> feeling really well. Also, <laughs> as a reader, the book that makes me happy is Serena Bowen is an adult romance author. And she has written a book called Moonlighter that is like she made it in a lab just for me. It's like everything that I love in one book. And every time I'm having a bad day, I reread that book. Oh my gosh, Allie, that's how I feel about your book. No. It is. I feel like you've that's written them just for me. Crazy. You're just making stuff up now. Uh, no, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And oh. I've told people, like, I I want to write. I want to be just like you, Allie. <laughs> Next question. Oh. So you are, of course, well into your career. How do you keep your love of writing alive? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, the, I, I think that the key is to always have something that you're writing on just for fun. So uh, you've got the stuff that you've got under contract that you have to do. And usually that starts out as a lot of fun. And I'm sorry, was this supposed to be more like a lightning round? Cause I feel like you, I'm missing the lightning element. Wherever you want to take it. Okay. <laughs> so you always have the thing that's under contract, which starts out as fun. And then eventually it reaches, it's like, I always like to say that writing a book is like taking a red eye flight. And so you're really excited when you get on the plane and then about six hours into it when you can't sleep and you need to get up and go to the bathroom, but somebody's snoring on you and everything, you just want to get off that plane and you never <laughs> want to travel again. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, there's the Great Wall of China. Yay, I'm here. And so it's, it, it's, that's sort of the arc of writing a novel. Um, so I always like to have one or two things that I'm working on just for me, like, and maybe they come you know, something comes of them, maybe they don't. Um, for example, I wrote a cheesy, cheesy Christmas movie that I thought, oh, you know, this is, this was fun. This was just, just a goofball kind of thing that I'm doing. And I showed it to a friend of mine and long story short, it's going to be on Netflix next fall. So it's, it's just what the is wildest. It yeah. It's called Castle for Christmas. I it, love it. I'm writing it down right now. It's got Brooke Shields. And Carrie Elwes, who was in The Princess Bride, of course. And um, it's about a romance author and a duke who um, the romance author is trying to buy the duke's castle. Oh, my gosh. You see, Allie, you're in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Because I love love a cheesy Christmas movie. And I thought I'm going to write something just just for fun. Like, just because it makes me laugh. It's about writers. It's all the things. It's all the things. Exactly. I want to go. I mean, I think right now, especially with pandemic, like I've written all kinds of things like that that are like, what if I went to Switzerland? Like I'm not going to Switzerland, but I can in my head. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think that that's, that's how you keep the love of writing is you have something, you know, the old Stephen King quote about you, you write the first draft with the door closed and the second draft with the door open. And I think you've always got to have something that you've got the door closed on. Yeah, no, I am also a, a big fan of the secret projects. I, yeah. I relish them. And if, if if money comes out of them, great. If not, you still had a good time. And I, I'm a firm believer that, that time spent writing is never time wasted. Yeah. So you will learn something from that process. You will become a, a better writer for having done it, whether or not the world ever sees it. Yeah, agree 100%. What is your personal mantra? Oh, probably don't get it right. Get it written. Mm. Um, and, and, and I get credited for that all the time. Like I'll see like people have made like little Instagram quotes, Allie Carter. I, I did not come up with that. I have no idea where that came from. I saw it 
somewhere years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't give me credit for it, <laughs> but, um, but it is something that I go back to all the time because I write the world's worst first drafts and I just power through. And then I go back and I say, okay, this is, this is working. This is not working. This is, you know, mayhem and mystery. I threw away basically the entire first draft and started almost as, almost totally from scratch. And because I had to write that first draft and get it, get it out and figure out that, oh no, it was terrible. And now I, now I have an entirely different villain and an entirely different plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. I have to rewrite everything. Yeah. And Which is I why think I was that's so something happy new writers. Draft two, the good draft. <laughs> yes, exactly. Draft two is the real draft. Like draft two is where, you know, it's, it's my draft twos are never like publishable by any stretch of the imagination. But that's when the the real book shows up in yeah. the draft too. Usually, yeah. what are you working on next? Uh, working on next, I'm working on a very super secret project. So um, I I don't want to be cryptic and coy, but there is something that I'm extremely excited about. Um, that it's like deep, deep, deep um, confidential confidentiality um, stuff. So okay. I can't really talk about that, but I do have some, some just for fun me projects that I'm also working on that, um, you know, I've, I, I, I've got a bunch of things that I've started through the years that, um, you know, are just sitting on my laptop with, you know, 150 pages or whatever. And I think I, I think my next thing is going to be picking out one or two of those and just making myself finish them. And again, maybe money comes of it. Maybe it doesn't, but at the, but at the very least, I will enjoy doing that. Um, I would very much like to do Winterborn 3 as soon as this um, thing I'm contracted for is is wrapped up. Um, and I'd like to do another middle gra- uh, another YA. We didn't talk any about Not If I Save You First, my standalone YA. But but I would love to do another um, action-adventure rom-com kind of. You know, I, I like to describe Not If I Save You First as it's a, it's a gender-swapped YA um, romancing the stone set in Alaska. Oh, and so fun. I'd like to do, I'd like to do something else kind of like that in the, you know, two people, um, thrust together who, you know, against the odds and the weather and everything else. And if, if they don't kill each other, they're going to fall in love. And <laughs> I, I'd like to, I'd like to do another, if they don't kill each other, they'll fall in love. Book. Yeah. I love that idea of taking some time to go back and finish up old projects because I think so much of us have these things just lingering on our computer drives and in the back of our heads that just kind of get pushed to the side, put on the back burner and, but they're always there. They never really leave you. Exactly. And, and I, you know, I, I have, I, I used to read a lot and I still do read a ton of historical romance and, um, you know, I, I like most of the world binge watched Bridgerton and when I finished that, I was like, you know, what, whatever happened to that historical romance that I started? Mm-hmm. And what did I have? Like 20, 30 pages of that. I had like 150 pages. Oh, wow. And I'm yeah. like, like, why, why did I not finish this? I should finish this. And again, won't probably do anything with it, but, but I should, cause it was, it was really fun to work on. Yeah. Last question. Where can people find you? Oh, um, I, unfortunately I spend entirely too much time on Twitter at officially Allie. Um, I'm on Instagram at the Allie Carter and AllieCarter.com. That's sort of the, the home base, um, which I do not update nearly as much as I probably should. Awesome. Allie, thank you so much for joining me today. 
thank you for having me. This is very, very nice. It was so awesome to talk to you. Um, Before we started the recording, we were reminiscing about our time in Texas, which happened right before the lockdown. It was our last hurrah. (laughs) I'm glad that I got to see It really was. I look forward to the day, the day we can all go to festivals again. Hopefully very soon. Yes. Readers, be sure to check out Allie's many phenomenal books, including her newest, The Winterborn Home for Mayhem and Mystery, and also her writing guide, Dear Allie, How Do You Write a Book?, both of which are available now. Of course, we always encourage you to support your local indie bookstore if you can, but if you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org shop slash Marissa Meyer. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy and cozy in your bunkers. And whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happy.